Today's episode is sponsored by the New Zealand Homeopathic Society. They're a charitable organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting the growth of homeopathy in New Zealand. You can become a member and receive amazing benefits such as access to an online introduction to homeopathy course for beginners from the College of Natural Health and Homeopathy. You'll also have access to the members-only section of their website where you'll find past journals and articles to download or browse. And you'll receive their quarterly newsletter via email as well as a variety of articles on homeopathy, up-to-date information on homeopathic news, tips on how to use remedies for common ailments and upcoming events. Plus, you'll receive 10% discount on remedies purchased from supporting pharmacies, Similimum and Celine Homeopathics. And if you're a book lover like me, be sure to check out their online bookshop. It is amazing. To become a member of the New Zealand Homeopathic Society or to purchase some of their books, visit www.homeopathy.ac.nz. That's homeopathy.ac.nz. Membership is currently only available to people living in New Zealand. Today, I am so happy to be able to thank some more patrons of this show who have donated $5 to $10 a month to support this podcast. I cannot tell you how much this means to me. Honestly, there is so much work that goes into this. And if I knew how much work this was going to be, I probably wouldn't have started in the first place. But I am so glad I did. And I am so unbelievably grateful to all of you for sponsoring this show. So to the following people, Emma Galloway, Catherine Fierhays, Dave and Jasmine Tran, Brenda Tobin, Deanne Scott, and Paige Burling McKenzie. Thank you with all my heart. Your support means the world to me, and it really helps me to continue producing more episodes. So, today we speak with homeopath Jonathan Stalick, who has been practicing homeopathy for over 35 years. He's helped thousands of patients to better health and happiness, and he's lectured on homeopathy to professionals all over the world. If you're a homeopath listening, be sure to check out Jonathan's lectures on his website, jonathanstalick.com, or check the show notes for the link. He is an incredible lecturer, and I know you're going to love learning from him. He's always doing lectures on new and interesting remedies that you've probably never heard of and presenting cases from his clinic, and it will really challenge you and expand your thinking and grow you as a homeopath. So quick warning, if you have little kitties listening to this episode with you, the word S-H-I-T is used several times in this episode, so you may want to skip this one for a time when they are not around you, but you are going to love this episode. It was so fun to do, and uh, yeah, Jonathan is really a great character. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to chat with a lovely Jonathan Stalick, all the way from England. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Eugenie. Is it Eugenie? Or yeah, Eugenie. 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 Okay. Wow. It's, if you want to go the French, it's actually Eugenie. But in Australia, Eugenie. yes, in Australia, they bastardize everyone's name. So Eugenie. here I am, Eugenie. <laughs> Eugenie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's so lovely to have you on today. Um, I've had a few of your buddies on, including the lovely Hilary Dorian. So, you know, it's just wonderful to have you on today as well. I'm so excited. Can you tell us, Jonathan, you've been practicing for over 35 years, but how were you first yeah. introduced to homeopathy? So homeopathy um, was just a word that I heard my mum, I think my mum had a friend that went to a homeopath. And so it was just a word. And I went through a, a pretty difficult time I was getting you know this was 
back in eight in the eighties, and I was getting anxiety attacks. I'd, I'd sort of come out of college, and I was my sister had died, and there was a few things that were sort of really bothering me, and that I but I was all bottled up like a good growing guy. You know, we just bottle bottle everything up, and was getting sort of panic attacks, and I just thought I didn't want to go down the route of conventional, you know, antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills. And so I just thought, oh, well, try homeopathy. It's a word, you know, natural. And I went to see a, a nice gentleman, a nice Indian gentleman in, in London. And the remedies seemed to work. And then I started reading about it. And it was like one of those moments, like one of those um, seminal moments. That's a good word, seminal moments, when you think it just hit me between the eyes. Oh, my God, this is I've got to know more about this. This is just, um, it's like something I'd never really, you know, there's a whole world. Homeopathy is like a world that I'd never come across before, really. And it just sort of just struck me that I've got to find out more about this and was kind of hooked from that point on and started just treating friends and family with sort of first aid stuff and started seeing results. And and then just thought, I was at the time, I was a a professional musician. So I was the cellist and was uh, you know, playing and teaching. Mm-hmm. And so then it was a big decision whether to switch. You know, I, I just had this feeling that homeopathy was supposed to be part of my life. And so I switched. I actually went to college uh, in London. I found a homeopathy college. And mm-hmm. yeah, then that was, and then sort of gradually gave up the music and went over to homeopathy. So that was the way it started. Amazing. Do you still do you still play cello? I do. It's Although, a beautiful yeah, instrument. I love it. It is. Yeah, it is. Although I'm actually trying to say it at the moment. (laughs) It's funny, actually, I just before COVID struck, I hadn't had the cello for about eight years. Mm. And and I just had this feeling that I wanted to reconnect with that. I just Mm. felt really strong about it. So I I had some money and I thought I'm gonna I'll buy a cello and I did. And then COVID came on. I was so pleased that I had something to really focus on you know, in those times when during mm. lockdown, uh, it was a real, but so I thought, wow, I must've had some kind of instinct about it. So Absolutely. yeah, but uh, yeah, cello is great. Yeah. And music is so good for everything. It I really is. I played piano for yeah. a few years and yeah, it's just, I can't imagine not having some sort of musical instrument to, to help you along. Now in the 1990s, you spent a few years treating hundreds of patients <laughs> with HIV AIDS yeah. and you wrote yeah. a book about it called AIDS, the homeopathic challenge. You've That's got right. to tell us more. So, okay. So this was, so back in 1990, AIDS, you've got to realize at that time, or you probably maybe you remember, or you maybe don't, I don't know. But <laughs> in that, at that time, it was like, probably like COVID was in the early days, you know, people were terrified of it. And even in the, in the homeopathic community, like very few people really wanted to touch it because it seemed such a massive uh, undertaking. I'd made connection with a homeopath called Mike Strange, who was practicing in South London, and I worked with him and he was seeing a lot of HIV and AIDS patients. Um, so there was that connection. And then a friend of mine was going to visit a, one of the AIDS, HIV and AIDS centres for people with HIV Mm -hmm. uh, in London. And she said, why don't you come along? And at the time, I'd kind of given up homeopathy for a little while. I I burnt out a little bit and I was doing other stuff. So I thought, well, you know, it wouldn't hurt. I thought I'll go along, have a look. It'd be quite interesting, I'm sure. Went along and I was kind of said, could I, I thought I could do a talk on homeopathy 
That's all I was going to do. I didn't want to see any patients. I would, but I could give a talk on it. So mm-hmm. I gave the talk. This talk, they they were very pleased to welcome me to do this talk, and I did that, and they loved it. And the guy who ran the center said, "Look, would you come and work here as a homeopath?" And I went, "No, <laughs> no, thank you very much. You know, that's it's too much." And he said, look, come on, just try it out for a few weeks. See how you get on. You know, there's no obligation. If you don't like it, then no problem. And then I just kind of thought, okay, just jump in the deep end and started seeing some really good results. And I was like, so I was really encouraged and inspired and just thought, oh, yeah, this is this is really interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's how it started. And so I worked at two centres in London. One one of them, which is the main centre called London Lighthouse, which was pretty pioneering at the time. I mean, it was a beautiful building in in West London, and you know had all the facilities. Had a beautiful sort of lecture hall and a, and a sort of restaurant or cafe and a hosp like not a hospice but a, a residential unit mm. on the top floor where people could go and rest. And they had nurses, full time nurses, and they had all the the alternative therapies. So they no. had you know massage. They had, yes, they had hypnotherapy. It was a really kind of great opportunity for sort of alternative medicine to come into its own and homeopathy they wanted a homeopath and I was there at the right time and I was recruited to work I worked there like a whole day one day a week and they even they bought me a whole pharmacy of remedies like I had a a cupboard you know I, I could just they had loads of money at the time and I just was able to buy any remedy I wanted so I had a huge yeah, pharmacy, which was fantastic. And yeah, and we're seeing, you know, and I saw about 500, over 500 patients with HIV and AIDS. And wow, it was kind of, it was really interesting. It was a way of really understanding. I mean, I think the the public had a perception of HIV and AIDS through media, Mm. but this was a way to really understand the battlefront, if you like, Mm. to see what is, what are these people really going through and what is really going on? And it sort of taught me a lot I'll give you an example of something it told me. For example, I, I said to one guy who I was treating, I said, look, okay, so supposing I was able to give you a remedy or a tablet that could completely get rid of the HIV, make you completely without HIV, mm-hmm. how would you feel about that? And I thought that's a fairly sort of straightforward question. You, you'd think he might jump at the chance. Mm-hmm. No, he said, I'm not sure. He said, because... You know, I've got my life all set up. I've got my friends. I'm getting housing benefit. I'm getting uh, an income from the government. So, see, there are some other, there were some things that, you know, it wasn't all these people weren't all victims of some terrible disease. There was something else going on as well. So, anyway, there were some various things like that that it sort of taught me as well. But I did have, you know, I I had some really good results. I'll tell you, my first patient I saw, mm. my first HIV patient. Uh, because this sticks in my mind. So he came along and he had this sort of, uh, I mean, it's in in my book, but he had like, he'd had everything. He'd had bowel cancer. He'd had loads of STDs. So gonorrhea, syphilis. He had kidney failure. He'd had, um, I don't know, I I can't remember everything, but he'd had every, been vaccinated to the hilt. And then he had an operation for bowel cancer. And when he turned up, to see me, he couldn't, he could hardly sit down because they'd operated through his rectum mm. and had cut the rectum and he was in terrible pain, um, you know, real, really pain. And they'd given him like a couple of months to live, basically. He was, you know, he'd lost a lot of weight. And 
So I just kind of thought, okay, and I, I gave him a number of remedies. And I was, at the time, I was giving multiple remedies. I, I, I felt that at the time that AIDS and HIV needed perhaps a different approach. Mm. Um, and I would give people, you know, maybe a, a series of no different nosodes, for example. Um, I would identify different layers and sort of treat each layer, but all together. Mm. Um, not sure I would do it in the same way now, but at the time it just felt right. And so I gave him a number of remedies and especially the, I think the remedy that really helped him was Staphylococcus, interestingly, and the pain just like disappeared. His T cell count rocketed. After a few weeks, he was well enough to travel the world. He wanted to travel the world. Wow. Um, And he started traveling. And then the the punchline is that he got murdered (gasps) in Mallorca. Yeah. I wonder what this guy so, did in his past life. To, to I know. I mean, you know, and I, I hadn't given him oh. cifalinum. That was probably the that was probably the missing remedy, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I don't think that would have yeah. stopped the murder, though. <laughs> He'd gone out in style. I mean, he, you know, he, yeah. he was able to he was able to uh, travel the world, and he was well enough, and you know, felt great, and and had, his energy had come back. So you know, it was wow. a kind of it was a success in that sense. That's amazing. And, um, you know, one remedy we've never talked about on this podcast is the remedy made from AIDS. And I have actually Mm. embarrassingly never prescribed this. I almost prescribed a little while ago, but the uh, patient refused to take the remedy, uh, even though I I explained there's none of the actual AIDS in there. But I wonder, Jonathan, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the remedy AIDS? And did you ever use that in any of your um, prescriptions for your AIDS clients? Uh, Well, then I'm equally embarrassed because I know I have not actually used the AIDS nose. At least I've not used it where I've had a kind of definite result, put it mm, that way. Mm. I'm not a real expert on the AIDS nose, but I do know that it uh, has to do with feeling like the boundaries of are very, very tenuous. And so boundaries, either people feel get abused regularly mm-hmm. or they are receptive to lots of infections, mm. but there's a kind of like it's a, they're porous, you know, yeah, porosity, and you know that that seems to be the sort of the main, and that's a lot of a, a feeling of sort of abuse, uh, like a heavily abused uh, mm. person. Well, the, um, uh, maybe Roger, I should use it more. Yeah, um, Roger Savage helped me on a case uh, of a boy who had uh, steroid withdrawal symptoms, and I don't know if you've <clears> ever seen this. It's actually a disease. It's got its own clinical name of steroid withdrawal. Something <clears> it's also <throat> called red skin, something <clears> like that. <throat> And um, this this poor boy looked like he was a leper. Like his skin was just so terrible. He couldn't even wear any clothes. He was just like sitting in a bathtub all day long, sitting there all naked. And Roger said to use the AIDS nose but yeah, I couldn't. But <laughs> the client just wouldn't take it. But I thought that. Well, I tell you another remedy that you could use for that situation. So yeah, where tell the skin me. has become the skin has become you mean really thin and papery. Because yeah, the, and also the just creams. there yeah. was just uh, it just sores everywhere. His whole body was covered yeah. in sto- sores. Yeah, lesser thin is the remedy. Ah, okay. I've only used that. I can't in- remember. Yeah, I can't remember where I read that, but that is the remedy for yeah withdrawal of steroids, uh, where oh. the steroids have really affected the skin uh, in that way. So thank you so much. Yeah. That is You're amazing. Welcome. I'm always learning new remedies on this podcast myself. People always messaging <laughs> saying, oh, I learned this and this. I'm like, well, I learned even more than you. <laughs> so I love it. And can you tell us maybe a little bit about the book, AIDS, The Homeopathic Challenge? So what can, what will people find in this book? Yeah, I wanted to make it 
like it's not like a textbook or a manual, but more just my experiences, really, you know, good and bad. And some of my perhaps my insights I'd garnered from working with the HIV and AIDS thing. So some of the sort of some of the more maybe some of the psychological things about patients who are in that situation and also some of the pitfalls of practicing because I'm not burnt out like two or three times while I was you know when you've got when you're working and all day long you've got people coming in who think they're going to die mm. uh, it's it's quite a sort of it's quite a big deal or at least it was at the beginning I mean I learned I toughened up and um, that's one thing it, it taught me to toughen up uh, a lot but there's the uh, pitfalls of practice um and then there's a lot of materia medica that i learned and also strategies i mean i i was doing a lot of layer prescribing and multiple remedy prescribing so i wanted to sort of introduce that even though at the time i mean it was very taboo um you know i mean i had great difficulty with getting my society of homeopaths registration and i mean i had a uh, i had a terrible review of the book in uh, the society journal uh, i mean it was really it was not just um critical it was it was kind of critical of me as a person i mean it was Aww. really sort of like saying that i wasn't fit kind of fit to practice kind of thing yet here uh, you are luckily, 35 years later <laughs> 35 years later <laughs> Proved them wrong. <laughs> uh, well you know and then but then jan Scholten wrote me a nice review so it kind of it sort of balanced it out so Hopefully it's a good read, actually. I mean, there's some nice cases in there, you know, showing how how I was practicing. And it is like a historical document in a way. It's not what I would probably do now in some ways. I think I, you know, I've changed my my thinking and trying to change my way. But at the time, it was just what I was doing. And it kind of worked in many cases. So, mm-hmm. Well, maybe we yeah. can talk about that next, if you don't mind, is how has your, your <clears throat> methodology and your prescribing and things changed over the past three decades? Yeah. So I think when I was at college, we were taught, you know, really a relatively small number of remedies and a sort of a a classical approach. And I I remember coming out of college and one of my fellow students had started practicing in this kind of multi-layered way and she was getting fantastic results. And so that sort of opened my mind to, you know, really kind of finding my own way of prescribing, not just going by book learning, but really kind of feeling my way as and finding what works. Um, so, yeah, so at first I started using or experimenting with sort of multi-layered uh, approach, um, giving more than one remedy at a time. But that partly, I think, was due to the fact that the Materia Medica was relatively undeveloped then there were polycrests and then there were small remedies um and what i realized eventually was there are there are no small remedies there are just remedies and then i think the great um discovery was jan Scholten's first book the um homeopathy and the minerals mm. and i remember reading that and that again like oh my god that's that is just fantastic um his use of the periodic table and understanding the concept of the periodic table and applying that to understand remedies that had never been proved mm. or proven. Mm. And I found that just so useful. And I think then that there was then a huge push to discover more and more Materia Medica. Um, and then that meant I found that one remedy could often be all you needed rather than having to sort of 
combine and sort of mm. do a lot of jiggery pokery that the one remedy could fit the whole case or it could be simpler and maybe a little more elegant as well mm-hmm. so Shalton has been a huge influence on my prescribing first of all with the yeah with the, the periodic table and then the development of the plant theory mm. and the, the plant theory is um, I don't know whether you've yeah, well, I've watched you. Yeah. I've watched your lecture on CHE, and I know you oh, teach. Cool. Yeah, okay. teach a lot of that as yeah. well. You're an excellent lecturer. Thank you, thank you. I found, uh, I, I think it's quite interesting because at the same time, Sankaran was developing the sensation method, and it's funny because in a sense they are both similar. That Shulton's use of numbers to kind of represent like a catalog uh, cataloging the plants mm. uh, kingdom through sort of numbered uh, where the numbers actually have uh, are not just theoretical they have a sort of feeling behind them so that if we think of the phases for example in the plant theory you've got one to seven and whereas one is it's all about the, the phases describe how people fit into a group or don't fit into a group of people, of workers, of school children, or whatever, whatever the group is. And whereas phase one is like you're right on the outside of the group, you're just coming into the group, you're newbie, you're naive. And then two is kind of feeling you're in the group, but you're feeling vulnerable and you sort of hide yourself away a bit. And then three, you're kind of starting to explore. And they have a kind of, so you develop a sort of feeling that you can then perceive when you're seeing a patient you can actually see those kind of feelings coming to life i don't know if that makes sense they have a kind of there is a kind of sensation aspect to the numbers and mm-hmm. i think that's that's what i found was the most you know if you just think of it as a kind of mathematical concept then it's very dry and it can just bamboozle you but if you sort of tie it into the sort of the feelings that you have so phase 4 is very in the middle but a bit rigid and sort of very upright, mm-hmm. whereas phase five is kind of pushing. They're enthusiastic. They want more from life. They're pushing on. So you get this feeling. Is, so when I see a patient, I'm going, where is the energy of this patient? Mm. Are they sort of kind of hiding away or are they pushing forwards? Are they, you know, what are they trying to do? Mm. What is their energy sort of telling me? And that I found really, really helpful and really useful. Mm, that's amazing. And um, I always, you know, everything is energy at the end of the day. And sometimes a person walks into your clinic and you just kind of get a vibe from them. And sometimes it can be a good vibe or a bad vibe. Or And then one of the things I'm always asking, like at the beginning, I'll be like, oh, this person is so so grumpy or this person looks like they don't even want to be there. Why do they even come and see me? And then I have to stop myself and I'll be like, no, actually – tune into how you're feeling or the energy that you're getting from this person. Yes, Why are they feeling that way? And then absolutely finding their, their remedy. But it's it's easy just for our, you know, normal day-to-day thinking, oh, this person's grumpy. But actually, you know, if you just kind of step back a little bit, no, no, why, where are they giving off this energy? And also why am I feeling that energy from them? Yes, you know? exactly. So, yeah, it's um, the best that, job that in the is- world. That is that is so right. I mean, especially when someone is talking a lot, they've got a lot of symptoms, a lot of, you know, a lot of their life and it's all coming out and you can get lost in the words. Yes. You know, it's like a forest of words. And one of the things I've learned to do is to feel comfortable with being confused. 
Yes. I always say if you want to be a homeopath, yeah. you have to be very comfortable with being very uncomfortable. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to not know what the hell is going on here. Yeah. It's like, what is this? What is the remedy? Who knows? I really don't know what is going on with this patient. Um, and I try and understand before I find a remedy, like what is really going on here, mm. I suppose? And what is the energy and what is what am I feeling here? You know, and 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 especially if they're talking a lot, mm. I'll take a step back and just sort of let the words wash over me and perhaps not pay too much, but pay more attention to the energy Absolutely. that's coming with those words. And I find that, you know, there are cases where which are very logical cases, which are, you know, you just go, there are a number of symptoms, you repertorize them and bingo, it pops, the remedy pops out, you know, there are those kind of cases. But then there are other cases where, it's almost like the meanings are a little bit hidden or a little bit masked, or there's a lot of noise around it where you, where you have to kind of tune into the themes and more of the sort of the feeling of the case. Hi, homies. Just a quick break in the episode to ask for your help. Producing this show takes a lot of time and money, and I would really appreciate your support so I can continue producing new episodes for you to enjoy. You can visit www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash hangout to make a donation from as little as $5. Believe me, every little bit helps. I'd also like to invite you all to my Facebook group called Homeopathy Hangout, where we can continue the conversation. And for my Australian listeners, check out my amazing range of homeopathic kits, remedies, crystals, supplements, and more at www.eugeniekruger.com. All right, let's get back to the episode. Thanks for your time. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's important to know which kind of case you're dealing with, I think. You know, there's Mm. there's the ones that are kind of more simple and just straightforward, often acute cases, actually, although sometimes not. Sometimes you've got to then see where the acute is actually just the top layer of a a chronic uh, condition (laughs) underneath. Uh, And then there is, yeah, there's the more kind of more wacky cases, maybe even, or I get a feeling sometimes... I don't know what this remedy is, you know. So I'm talking a lot now. Is that okay? <laughs> Keep going. Yes, I'm, on a, I'm on a roll here. I'm on a roll. I love it. This is the best podcast. Yeah. Just let it out. <laughs> so, yeah, I would get to like a certain point. I'd go where I would see people proving all these kind of weird remedies, like, you know, these different fishes or these different insects. or And I'd go, look, you know, or even, you know, energy vacuum and sort of stuff yeah. like that. Black and hole. I'd go, <laughs> Yeah, black on. I go, no. I just draw the line. I go, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, come on now. That you know, when doesn't, you know, it's not useful. This is all just head stuff. Actually, studying with Lou Klein was a great opener for me because I realized about allowing yourself to think outside the box, allowing yourself to go wherever you kind of where you ever you you felt you need to go without drawing lines around it to you know there's a kind of to to block you from so I, and i started using sort of comes some quite weird remedies as you you know we, as we talked about you know dog shit yeah let's go her- there I've, I've got yeah. that on my list let's and, go there talk to yeah. us about dog shit <laughs> dog shit so you know that was yeah that was one of those remedies i thought oh come on no this is ridiculous you know you cannot use dog shit as a remedy but it it really does. I think it's a very useful remedy for people who I, I used it on a uh, with a guy that said my dad just uh, treated me like a piece of shit. I mean that was his whole thing. You know I was treated like shit 
It's a bit like Latkaninen, but more extreme, where people have been literally, they've had their spirit crushed. You think about stepping on dog shit, you kind of crush the shit mm. in, the, in the pavement. Think about that, you know, they've, they've had their spirit crushed mm. and they almost like they lose sense of, of any self-esteem whatsoever. You know, it's that, it's that kind of thing. So it's a useful, it is a useful remedy for that certain cases, you know. Maybe it doesn't, I mean, I used it to open a case. It didn't, doesn't fit the whole case, but it did work. And it definitely lifted this guy from did, being like shit to having more self-esteem. So it was, it was a good remedy. Did you tell him that you, um, what, what it was that you prescribed? Or did you just use yeah. the Latin name excretinum caninum? No, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I told him. So yeah, it's, it's fine. And he, he was, in fact, I've used it, I used it with an, another woman and uh, yeah, I mean, in fact, both people were okay. I was surprised. I thought, you might think, come on, you know, this is give me my yeah. money back, you know. Yeah. You're taking but, the no, the, yeah, taking taking the shit. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um I had another case. I was treating uh this was a lovely case of a fibromyalgia. So this one was in a lot of pain, but she was on so many different drugs. And I think probably, you know, a lot of people might have thought, I don't want to treat this case because you know, especially when they're on so many drugs, mm. heavy drugs, you know, she'd been taking 50 dihydrocodines every day she was addicted to dihydrocodine and you know I started off with things like carcinosin and folliculinum actually but that did sort of limited amount but then the remedy that really opened things up was heroin mm. because you know she had the uh the addiction thing was going on and she kept talking about this addictive voice in her head that was like it was like the devil, you know, it's like telling her, don't go for the exercise because, you know, just lay back like the, mm. the devil inside her. Yeah. Uh, and so she had this addictive side. And then she mentioned that her aunt had been addicted to heroin. And heroin has a kind of a hero or a heroine. There's a braveness about them. So you always feel like they had this terrible life, but they're being brave and they they kind of, they challenge themselves to get out of it. And there's always this kind of the narcotics anonymous and they go through this, you know, this this thing to sort of get over what they've been through. And they, there's this braveness, this heroic side to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what she had. So, and heroin was really, really useful. And the pain went down dramatically from heroin. Amazing. Then I went, then I gave a dihydrocodine. Uh, which then improved the pain even more. That was great. That really, really improved the pain. And then the the remedy I came to. So I was asking her about. She said, "I feel feel like I'm sort of I should be tall. Like I'm I'm sort of curled up. Like I can't stretch. And I can't sort of you know." I said, "Well, just use your imagination. Tell me what that looks like." You know. She said, "Well." I picked up a, a woodlouse in the kitchen the other day, and you know the way woodlice are sort of they sort of curl up when you. When you yeah, I think we up. call them a slater over here. That's right. They got funny names. Uh, yeah, we call them wood woodlouse. And she said, "That's what I feel like." I thought, "Oh, how interesting!" So I, I found that actually in the repertory, the remedy is oniscus. It's called. Uh, that's wood, woodlouse. That's the Latin. It's had approving. And in that, in the repertory, one of the symptoms was loves heavy metal and punk music. <laughs> That's so in the I repertory. Thought, this, yes. And I said to this woman, because she's the most mild, timid person you could ever imagine, very quietly spoken. I said, oh, this sounds a bit of a random question. I said, but how do you feel about punk music or heavy metal? Oh, I love that. She said, my dad was addicted to punk music. I love it. She said, every time before my, I do my exercises, I put my headphones on and I 
crank up the volume to full of punk music as a gift. And I gave it's her a Aniscus. Gift. And, yeah, yeah. And she did really, really well on Aniscus. So, like, it was able, enabled her to stretch properly, whereas before it was very painful. Wow. She was able to stretch properly. So, um, and then we I... moved on to, yeah, to some other remedies. But kind of, you know, it's a difficult case. But now she's got to the point where the pain is negligible. I mean, it's very, very mild. I mean, she still has a little bit, but she's still on quite a few drugs. Mm. But she's happy in where she is. You know, I would say probably this, there's some more development to be done. But I felt like, you know, at the moment, that's where she wants to be. Mm. And maybe she'll come back at some point in the future. But yeah, we got her to where she wanted to be. So I sometimes think that our clients must think that we're clairvoyant or something like that, because, you know, sometimes when yes. you suspect a certain remedy and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. while my client's busy talking, I'll quickly look it up in the Materia Medica and see if there's like an unusual symptom. So you'll ask them like a confirmatory question, you know, do you like punk music? That's or, right. And you they know, think, how do you know that? Yeah. Right, how do you? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> how do you get, how do you? And it's true. And, and I always, if something pops into my mind, uh, rather than dismissing it, I will often ask it. I'll just go, well, just go there, see see, see where it leads, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's often very profitable, so. Absolutely. Um, I, in our international homeopathic Facebook group where you're in, you always blow my mind with the interesting cases that you, that you put on there. And, you know, you've had cases there of um, aspartame used to for a, a Parkinson's yes. case. And I love the, <clears throat> the remedy um, Peran. Paracanthus? Yes, that one. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tori, dory. Yeah, the dory yeah. fish and Finding Nemo yeah. and um, seal's milk. I mean, I always seal's I always milk, wonder yeah. who went to go find that seal to milk it to make the yeah, remedy from. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Actually, I, I was wondering <laughs> who was the homeopath that got the heroin to make the remedy from? <laughs> well, that was Janet Snowden did okay. that proving, actually. Give her credit for that. Did anyone uh, ask her how she milk. obtained it? <laughs> Uh, no, but I, I suppose it's, you know, I mean, you, you know, uh, any pharmacy could probably get hold of it, I guess. Yeah, um, seals milk. That was a really, that's a really interesting case. This woman had problems in relationships. She basically was abused when she was very young. And I think since then she didn't trust anyone. And she used to have dreams of dark water and like tsunamis and, but yeah, a lot of like, deep water and she always wanted to she was always ready to make a way to the door to for the relationship to leave the relationship because she mm. you know anytime there was a problem came up with the partner she would run for the exit mm. you know and she felt she was never so trust you know trust someone and I suppose I put two and two together. So the thing with the sort of the dark water and she, she had a fear of, I think fear of sharks. Mm. So this kind of like feeling like something could come up and grab you and drag you down into the water. And then there was something a bit, you know, seals are very cute. There's a cute cuteness about Mm. them. And there was something kind of cute about her. And there was, there was stuff around mothering and um, so there's the the milk aspect, the sort of lack Mm. aspect was there. So I just kind of put two and two together and came to Seal's Milk. And, wow, it totally changed her life. I mean, she was, a, you know, she was so much better in relationships. She was able to sort of trust and to not run for the door when some problem came up. And, yeah, it really, really, like, transformed her life. She said, I feel happy. I, I've never felt like this happy before, like that that sort of thing. So it was it was really great. So worth thinking outside the box sometimes. 
Yeah. And um, how on earth did you come to prescribe the homeopathic remedy made from aspartame for Parkinson's? Well, first of all, Lou Klein had done a lot of work on aspartame and for autism, actually. Mm. Um, I think he had an autism case where he used aspartame. The woman that I treated with Parkinson's talked about there was some she had some metabolic disease which called triaminuria, trimethylaminuria or something. I can't remember the, it's something like that. It's where the body produces very stinky fish smelling sweat. It's like a metabolic problem with the body where it's producing this kind of weird sweat that smells like fish. Mm. Um, And that kind of got me thinking there's some, there's some, yeah, something metabolic. And then, I don't know, something in my mind was making a connection with phenylaniline. And then I found out that aspartame and phenylaniline are kind of close. There's one as a precursor of the other. And then I saw that it actually is uh, useful in the kind of Parkinson's type symptoms. And so that's how I got to it and gave it. And it was, it's been really, really good. In fact, I've switched now to aspartic acid. So I've just experimented. I, you know, was using aspartame, and then she kind of aggravated a little bit on that. So I switched to yeah, aspartic acid, which is the sort of more purer form, I suppose, of aspartame. Um, and that's and so far she's doing really well. Um, you know, she's not perfect, but she's you know a lot of the, all the numbness, the tingling, the walking is much better. She feels happier in herself. She's sleeping better. She's still under treatment, but yeah, she seems to be doing well. Amazing. Now for the homeopaths listening, Jonathan has, uh, if you want to learn more about these interesting remedies of his and uh, you know, you've got the, there's the plant series as well. Although I think that's through CHE that you do that, or do you have your own? Well, I did it. Yeah. I did my own uh, webinars as well on that. So you can either get it through CHE or uh, on my website, jonathanstalic.com. You can find all my webinars are there. They're for sale, uh, but Mm -hmm. they're at a reasonable price. Um, they're incredibly well priced. They're so so well priced and you've got such, it's such a great variety of courses. And um, I know you've done death's head. Hawk moth has been in there as well, which is a remedy that I have used a lot lot the last few months. I love it. Great, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's a really good remedy. Mm. Really good. The butterflies and moths are really interesting. Oh, I I love them. Yeah. Yeah. I've used it a few times. So any of the practitioners listening, if you want to do some of Jonathan's courses, go check out his website, jonathanstalic.com. And then you can just purchase them as you go and also subscribe to his newsletter. Um, I've been subscribed to it for quite a while and you regularly send out emails with new courses as you add them. So that's a really nice way to either watch it live or then you can watch the recording afterwards, which is great. It's always a recording. Yeah. 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 Now, Jonathan, Have you got any advice for new practitioners starting out, you know, with 35 years experience behind you, you must be doing something right. So any words of advice for the newbies out there? I think the word that comes to my mind is persistence, really, because, you know, you're going to have ups and downs. I mean, there have been times, you know, there are times, there's still times when I'm just thinking, look, I I can't do this anymore. You know, I've had a a difficult patient or or sometimes you get a cluster of them, a few patients that Mm. are kind of difficult, not getting anywhere. And, you know, sometimes you've just got to sort of just take the rough with the smooth, basically. You've got to, I think you've got to be a little bit tough skinned, actually. You know, homeopaths tend to be very sensitive people and uh, often maybe get uh, even get quite emotionally involved with their patients and i found 
I do my best work when I'm really not emotionally involved, when I just kind of look at it as a, I just look at it as, I, I mean, I have fun spotting the patterns mm. and then translating those patterns into remedies and just making it into more of a kind of conceptual thing rather than get too involved with people's uh, really getting down in with them and into their emotions. Mm. I find it's just better to keep a slight distance, but that's just the way I work. I mean, mm. people, everyone has their own, uh, their own style. Yeah, persistence, I think, and just developing probably a little bit of a tougher skin mm. so that you can sort of weather those uh, difficult times as well. Uh, and then just keep learning and don't close yourself off to, other, you know, keep learning from other practitioners, keep reading cases, learn from your peers, just keep reading, reading, reading different cases, learn from everyone else. That has been just like, you know, fantastic and mm-hmm. makes it so rich and interesting. Absolutely. Um, now, Jonathan, I often end up the podcast asking people what their three favorite homeopathic remedies are and why. But I think for you, can I ask you three of the strangest remedies that our listeners probably wouldn't have heard of? I mean, probably the dog shit yeah. is a pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> weird remedy. Um, and it was a wood louse, a pretty weird remedy. <laughs> And I so have I'm to, not sure I can think. No, of no, that's others, fine. So. I just threw that in there. Yeah. But I, I have to tell yeah. you that my parents-in-law, who already think I'm slightly crazy, I love them to bits. I really do. But they here this evening, and I said to them, "Okay, guys, I'm going to go chat with a guy about remedies made from AIDS and dog shit. Now, I'll see you later." <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I've helped my case with him. But anyway, <laughs> I've got uh, friends. Yeah, that I talk. I've, I've sometimes are candid about yeah using things like dog shit, and they just laugh. I mean, they just laugh at me. But then they hear yeah but the person got better and you know then they have to think well maybe i need to you know Mm -hmm. maybe not laugh so much maybe maybe this is kind of interesting check it out well it's been a blast having you on i haven't laughed that much in a little while and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and yeah i really appreciate it and please keep doing your webinars because they're super fun and it's like you said we have to keep on learning this is such a great opportunity for the homeopaths out there to get exposed to remedies they might never have thought of and so often when i do these lectures you can be sure that week somebody's going to walk in and you're going to need a remedy from that lecture that you've just learned about and i don't know if you're making your mind into it or if it's the universe or if it's coincidence but i've found that so often and that's why i love always learning from other practitioners because you can be sure there's going to be a client walking in and that's going to need that remedy that you've just learned about that's absolutely yeah. true isn't it awesome. yeah well enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much for thank your time. you Janine. it's been lovely to meet you see you bye